Naming Supreme Court justices is one of a president's most enduring legacies. As a candidate, Richard Nixon said he wanted judges who were strict constructionists, not super legislators, with a free hand to impose their political and social viewpoints upon the American system and the American people. His first opportunity to find such a person came on May 21st, 1969, just four months after he was inaugurated. I have known him for 21 years, and I would evaluate him as being qualified intellectually, qualified from the standpoint of judicial temperament, qualified from the standpoint of his legal philosophy, and above all, qualified because of his unquestioned integrity throughout his private and public life. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very proud tonight to nominate as the 15th Chief Justice of the United States, Judge Warren Berger. Thank you very much, Mr. President, members of the cabinet, distinguished guests and ladies and gentlemen. At a time like this, the best thing to say is very little. I am bound to say, of course, that I'm grateful to you, Mr. President, for your gracious expressions of confidence. I hope I shall be able to earn and deserve that confidence. I hope you won't mind if I say that, uh, in a sense at least, uh, you pay tribute to all of the sitting judges of the federal and state systems in this nomination. Men and women who, day in and day out, perform the difficult tasks of the administration of justice. And I hope I can, in a way, share that with all of them tonight. I thank you very, very much, President. Coming up, calls between President Nixon and his Supreme Court Chief Justice, Warren Burger, plus reflections from the Chief Justice, including his thoughts on the case that dealt a fatal blow to the Nixon presidency. Warren Burger rose from humble Midwestern roots to become one of the longest-serving chief justices in Supreme Court history. An attorney and political figure in post-war Minnesota, Warren Burger was an early Nixon supporter. He helped sway the state delegation to the Eisenhower-Nixon ticket at the 1952 Republican Convention. The next year, President Eisenhower appointed Warren Burger as an assistant U.S. Attorney General. And in 1955, he was named to the high-profile D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. During his 13-year tenure there, he gained a reputation as a conservative law and order judge. So it was no surprise to see him on President Nixon's shortlist to replace retiring Chief Justice Earl Warren. Just 18 days after he was nominated, the Senate confirmed Warren Burger by a vote of 74 to 3. The president personally attended the swearing-in ceremony. As Chief Justice, Warren Burger voted with the majority in the Pentagon Papers decision and the Roe v. Wade decision. Ironically, he also helped to end Richard Nixon's stay in the White House. We begin on December 25th, 1971. 
Just a few weeks earlier, the Senate had confirmed two new Supreme Court justices, Lewis Powell and William Rehnquist. The two men replaced the retiring John Harlan and Hugo Black. And the president and chief justice discussed the new additions. Hello. Chief Justice Berger on the line, sir. Warren, I just called to wish you and all the family a Merry Christmas. Well, how wonderful you and to, the trouble. And to tell you that I'm really pleased that uh, you've now got a couple more people in that court, and that load you've been carrying is a little bit lighter. One thing I think, of course, you, you've known Powell for years, but one yes, thing one thing about Rehnquist that I think you'll be pleased, he is a bearcat for work, and he's totally honest and objective, and so yeah, I just pile it on him, you know, he can, he can take, you know, uh, most people think that the only cases that come to the court are the spectacular ones, but my guess is 80% of them are things that are just hard work. And uh, this fellow is a fantastic worker. That's one of the reasons that when I finally came down, I thought he'd be a good one to add to the court. Well, he certainly shows every sign of it. I've had two, three visits to the Have you? Good. And he's just so eager to get to work. Yeah. Uh, and of course, he, from his work too with Bob Jackson, he knows the machinery of the court right. and the technique. Right. So he's got right. a running head start. Well, I won't be here for the swearing in because I'll be down with uh, Sato. Oh, yeah. But uh, I met them the other day and uh, gave them their commission. So the main thing is you work them. And well, let me say that all this talk about the Nixon court is nonsense. To me, it's the Burger Court. Well, it's... it's That's the, what we want. It's the Supreme Court. I think, I think now we're on the way to having a yeah. mighty good court for the future. Right, uh, right. You're getting off soon, are you? I, well, I have to go to Florida tomorrow oh, for uh, meetings. We're down at Williamsburg. We took okay. down here to took our son and daughter and... spoke again five months later, following the death of FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. Hello. Hello, Mr. President. I thought you'd be pleased to know I was just talking to John Connolly. He said he'd been up to the uh, memorial service and that you made a very eloquent uh, tribute to uh, to Edgar Hoover. So, uh, well, I'm you, to have time. I have to do one tomorrow, so, uh, boy, they're hard to work out, aren't they? They are. And you I'm know, without getting too modeling, the rest, you know, I mean, uh, every Everything has been set. They didn't call me until about 8.30 last night. On I know. This. I know. I, the chief merit of it, I think, was that it was about three and a half or four minutes long. And the one point, Mr. President, that I wanted to make was that Edgar Hoover carried out the difficult task of law enforcement without impinging on the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, which he's been accused of doing. And I, right. I wanted the record to be clear that, that, I, uh, that I thought that very strongly. Right. Well, I, I'm going to be there, of course, in the morning. That's uh, right. Well, I'll try to pick up a couple of different yeah. themes. I won't do the same thing because I've uh, I, I told our fellows to look at your thing so that because uh, I think I should, uh, you know, we'll all try to get a little Did bit they get of get a copy of it? Uh, I'll tell you what you do. Uh, of I'll course, they, somebody down with it if you want. Uh, yes, yeah, send it. 
Would you mind sending it to John Andrews in my in, in the EOB? John Andrews. He's he's working on the speech right now. I just I just worked out the second copy. All right. Uh, and I'll tell him it's coming. Good. I'll send it down. Uh, at least the, where we're tracking. But uh, it was a it was a very nice ceremony in the sense that it was short. Right. Only about twelve minutes all told. Great. Well, I, I'm certainly Great. nice of you to call. Good. How you feeling? How's your back? Well, back's doing pretty well. Yeah, I'm not so crowded today. I've got to skip Dr. Ryland. Oh, that's too bad. Too bad. I'll catch him next week. All right. uh, Goodbye. He's always there for you whenever you want him. Well, and it's a great help to me. I try yeah. to get in at least every other week, and uh, this, this fellow's the greatest I've ever come No question. Today. No question. You know... Well, he certainly does. And then in between, I almost uh, every other day, I use the Whirlpool bath downstairs, which is a great, great relaxer. Do you have a Whirlpool in your building? put in when I got up here. They only cost about $500 to put in. Good. And it's the greatest relaxer. Do any of the other uh, judges use them? Or, uh, well, Hugo Black used to use it once in a while, but nobody else uses it here. That way it's nice and clean. It is. <laughs> and it's always available. Okay. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Bye-bye, Mr. Brennan. Fast forward now to January 2nd, 1973, two months after his landslide re-election. The president takes a few minutes after the holiday weekend to say hello. Yeah, Chief Justice Burke. Yeah. You are. Hello. Good morning, Mr. President. Well, I understood you uh, called yesterday to, on the New Year, and I should have called you. Well, not at all. Yeah. Did we just, yeah. And I just wanted to call you. How are you feeling? Oh, just fine. Yeah. And you yeah. look upset? Yeah. yeah, well, we got the... My gosh, did you go to the game? No. No. I haven't been to... I never go to those games because, uh, I'll tell you why I don't, is that uh, whenever they're sellouts, I went to one, uh, Oklahoma, and, I mean, I mean uh, Texas and Arkansas about three years ago, and the problem was that it really caused so much commotion because it, 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 it re- over 100 people have to go when I go, 60 press and 40 Secret Service. Well, that just takes 100 seats away from people that just die. And if you can, you can see it on television, I went up to Camp David and I just saw it up there. Well, you, I was working up there anyway. The instant replay is much better. It's the only way to see a game. Of course, there's some something to the excitement of hearing the audience oh, yeah. there. Well, I haven't gone to one for years. I, <laughs> I, I usually yeah. spent it yesterday just the way you did. I was yeah. down here at 9 o'clock. Yeah. Worked yeah. all day. That's and right. Even missed the game. This is the time to actually, in these, high, these periods like this, when people are all gone. Uh, I'm just uh, been in the office today and yesterday, and uh, you can just get up. You, you get a lot of the paperwork done that you just have set, just put aside. And say, well, I'll do that someday when I get a few minutes. Well, you know, well, I wanted to start the year with a clean, empty box. I do it every time, and my box is my box is just as clean as it can be. I unfortunately didn't get out all my opinions, but I got all the little stuff yeah. out of the way. So now the decks are cleared for another. Now, now, now you can now you, now you can now you got your mind cleared so that you can make the big decisions. Yeah. <laughs> One's coming out pretty soon, too. Oh, boy. I've boy. been struggling with this pornography thing. I don't know whether, Uh-oh. I don't know how we're coming out, but uh, yeah. I'm yeah. coming out hard on it Good. myself, Good. whether I get the support or not. You're right. Uh, well, I I feel, ter- of course, I'm, I'm square. I'm like Alan. I'm a square. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on that. I mean, I, don't, I, I mean, a square in, in the sense that they just, it's a, I've read those cases when I uh, did the Hill versus Time thing. No. And, uh, you know, because it, it relates to the whole freedom of the press thing. And, 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 and let's face it, they've just gone overboard, that's all. It's always a question of balance. I mean, I, I mean uh, maybe you can, uh, you can they say, they, they go back to these uh, 16th century stuff and say that, that, well, what's wrong with that? That was great art. Well, uh, the stuff today is not great art. The stuff today 
quite an opinion, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a phrase that they uh, that they emanated from some of the campuses uh, yeah. in this period. And we uh, do make social purpose. Uh, <laughs> you know, this means yeah. that if they uh, if they have one of these uh, outrageous uh, orgies, then if they mention Vietnam or the condition of uh, the ghettos, yeah. that redeems the whole thing. Uh, uh, well, uh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that something? Well, thank what you. else do you have? Uh, you have a, do you have other decisions? Oh, Is a busing thing coming out? or? No, that's way down the road. That's good. The longer way the better. The, road, yeah. the, the, yeah. the longer the better is right. Right. Maybe we've been into that as, uh, maybe we can maybe we get some legislation passed and get it out of the way. We've got. Uh, I, I think uh, I think things are coming in. I, I get impatient, but they're coming. Uh, and, and by the way, this this young fellow, he's young now for you and me. He's yeah. been 12 years at uh, Rehnquist. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah. he's a real star. Isn't that great? He's, Isn't uh, that great? He's got, uh, well, we'll try to give you one day if we ever get a chance to try to get another one. But get another fellow. I don't. I, don't, I have. I have no no ideas that I, I understand that. Uh, they, 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 you know, you remember General MacArthur's famous statement when he spoke to the Congress. I just put it a little differently for Supreme Court justice. Seem, Supreme Court justices never die and they never fade away. <laughs> you, right? You've got to get some young fellows up here and not yeah. any more sixties uh, like. Uh, you guys are all right. I mean, my my guys in their sixties are great. The, the Berger, Blackman, Powell triumvirate. But but I tell you, but let, let me say, I agree. I've uh, I think one of the problems in the Congress. I was looking over a list here of our Republicans and good God, I mean, we've got people over seventy that I hadn't realized. I mean, Les Aaron's Bill Whitnall and so forth. They're too old. They're too old. You know what I mean? You can't keep not because understand. You know, up until uh, I think I think you could frankly in a court I think you can serve say to seventy five because there it's a different kind of a thing. Well, the pace is different. But, but at the Congress, I think you got I think the House and the Senate you ought to be out of there by seventy because you know that's a murderous thing down there. That's the big reform that needs to be had over there. It's, it's just yep. getting some vigorous yeah. young guys right. in their forties. Nobody should run for the House if he's over forty because he can't mount anything. Run for the first time, I mean. No. And nobody should run for the Senate if he's over 50 for the first time. No. Now, you see, because you could, you've got to, you've got to be in so you can serve 20 years. I've been trying to preach this. George Bush is going to help a lot in that respect. He's a great choice. Yes, for well, he'll be an attractive guy to attract candidates. Yeah. He's a young... Well, uh, you see, we've got Bush in that point, and then Brock is going to be the Senate campaign committee man. He's a young, vigorous fellow. And uh, Bill uh, Bud Brown, you know, uh, uh, the son of... Uh, Clarence? Uh, Clarence's son, who was just bright as a tack, he's going to do the house job. He's Well, he's a big, smart, not nearly as abrasive as Clarence, and almost, Clarence, and almost as smart. So uh, I think we'll have a fine team uh, getting candidates this time. Well, it's mighty nice of you to take the trouble to call back. Well, we just wanted to leave our greetings. Well, uh, uh, we'll see you on the inauguration. I mean, you're the guy that has to swear me in, you know. Yes, uh, the vice yeah. president uh, I talked to the other day. Yeah. I guess I guess that's, uh, that tradition has varied with the vice president. Yeah. But he called me, yeah. asked me, and if I'd uh, do it, sure. I said, yes, I'll do two for the price of one. That's right. That's right. Well, well actually, what happens is that in... Uh, the vice president actually normally does pick somebody else. I had I had Nolan swear me in '56. Mm -hmm. I don't know who did it the other time. I've forgotten. Nolan did it in '56, but it doesn't make uh, it's it's a matter of uh, it varies. Mm -hmm. 
And I think it's really neater to have you do both. Yes, it, it, it reduces one more body on the platform. That's right. <laughs> Hadn't thought of that. Hadn't thought of that. That face is going to be well, premium. That's right. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you. We're looking forward to seeing one, you. One of the beauties of my oath, you know, it's very short. His is quite long. His is the same. You know the difference. Yeah. Did you know there's a difference? Yeah. His is that long one, you know, that you give to senators. Yeah. Uh, but mine is very short. I just def- I swear to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. It's about seven lines long. Yeah. I can e- I, even I can remember that. <laughs> okay. Warren Burger retired in September 1986 as one of the longest-serving chief justices in Supreme Court history. In 1994, he talked to C-SPAN about his nomination, his relationship with President Nixon, and the U.S. v. Nixon decision. You know, there had been tension between Earl Warren and Richard Nixon, which is perfectly normal when you've got a uh, a leader uh, like uh, uh, Earl Warren, who was governor, and then a, a younger leader coming along, moving up, uh, he uh, uh, tension does develop. But he wanted to dissipate that, so he had a beautiful dinner for the Supreme Court and uh, Earl Warren at the White House. And I was invited, which surprised me. Uh, when I got there, I was the only judge in the United States except the members of the court. Well, that set the newspaper speculating that I might be appointed to one of the vacancies. And uh, and that, on May 21st, uh, he sent a message that he was nominating me that night and would I be at the White House at seven o'clock or something like that. What do you think former President Nixon saw in you to nominate you? He once mentioned that uh, he had read some of my lectures on criminal justice and that that's what got him interested. Particularly one lecture, a commencement lecture at Ripon College in Wisconsin. And uh, that's about all I know. And how did you feel when he asked you to be at his office at 7 o'clock the next morning? Well, a little bit shocked, frankly. Uh, because I had not expected uh, it. Uh, this was about uh, 1 o'clock on that day. And uh, I got a message uh, to... Uh, that the Attorney General wanted to talk to me. And uh, since uh, I knew that if uh, uh, he came over to my building, uh, it would be noticed by the reporters. So I walked over to the Capitol, over to the Department of Justice. I told him that I was accustomed to taking a walk every noon, which was true. And I would just walk over there, which I then did. And uh, later he explained, President Nixon explained that night when we got there for the television announcement that uh, he he wanted the record to be clear that he had no conversations with me in advance. There were no discussions about how I would decide cases or what my views were, that he knew enough about my views to be satisfied, but that... uh, 
there was no conversation. And then he made the announcement. And uh, uh, it, it was on the way. Did you ever socialize with uh, the late former President Nixon? Did you ever socialize with him? At that state dinners, yes. Nothing else. He was never in our home. I was never in his home except at a state dinner. Formal dinners. What about recreational activities? Did you no. ever play golf together? No. Nothing like that. Do you have any favorite stories? Any favorite stories? I never got into a conversation like that with him. Since he was a person who nominated you for the Chief Justice, did you feel a loyalty to him? Did I feel what? A loyalty to him? No, no special loyalty at all. At all, uh, I had a great respect for him. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had to write the opinion that, in effect, put him out of office. And that was the Watergate case, United States versus Nixon. How did it feel to have to consider that case? Well, it's painful to, de to decide some cases, uh, but uh, you have to do it. Uh, I, uh, it was a unanimous opinion of the court, and the issue had really been decided many, many years before, that there can't be any privacy claim to uh, papers or information that relates to the administration of justice. That if it uh, that was decided in a case where Chief Justice Marshall was sitting as a trial court judge in the case against Aaron Burr for treason uh, required Thomas Jefferson to turn over some reports, military reports that he had uh, ordered. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm told pretty reliably that uh, after that case came down sometime after just when I don't know he said the case was right how did you come to write the unanimous decision how how did you come to write the unanimous decision well, the chief justice assigns uh, if the court's unanimous in a major case or even if it isn't unanimous the Chief Justice assigns the opinion, and uh, that's how I came to write it. It's traditional for a particularly important case that the Chief writes the opinion. You can find more of C-SPAN's discussions with Chief Justice Berger and learn more about the Berger court decisions, including the Pentagon Papers, the Watergate Tapes, and Roe v. Wade at cspan.org. And in Season 1 of Presidential Recordings... Here's secretly recorded conversations President Lyndon Johnson made on topics including the Warren Commission, the Vietnam War, the March on Selma, and more. Next time on Presidential Recordings, more calls on the Rehnquist and Powell nominations and just how close the president came to nominating the first woman to the court. Our thanks to NixonTapes.org, the Miller Center at the University of Virginia, and the Richard Nixon Presidential Library and Museum. And remember to follow Presidential Recordings so you never miss an episode.